0: Oh, thank you all for coming out tonight. It is always a blessing uh, to be here. I've been blessed to be able to fill the pulpit of a uh, a local church that was looking for a pastor. Praise God they found one recently and uh, I've been getting a lot of reps there. Really enjoyed it and uh, I was very blessed that Pastor Kenny and Pastor Travis opened up uh, this opportunity uh, for me for the next three weeks and look forward to Brother David uh, after that and, uh, just been a uh, just such a blessing to be able to to share uh, with you all today. Um, let's go and go to the Lord uh, in prayer at this time. Heavenly Father, um, I'm just so excited to get into Your Word, Lord. I thank You for the privilege to be able to to teach it. God, I am unworthy uh, to stand up here. Uh, I don't know any man uh, who is not unworthy to be able to stand up here, Lord. Uh, your Word is an errand; it is perfect. God, I am not. And so, God, I pray right now that the words that I say are in line with your scriptures. God, I pray that the words that come out of my mouth are not my words, but your words, God. Thank you so much for your in scripture. God, I pray that, that as we uh, study the scripture, that we're reminded uh, of the penetra- penetrance of it, God. The the amazing uh, just sharpness of it, that it can sanctify us, God. We love you, we thank you, and we praise you. Amen. Well, I'm excited to share and start on this uh, series, uh, kind of mini-series, through Second Peter. We'll cover most of it, but in three weeks it was kind of hard to get it all, but we're hitting a, a lot of the high points. Um, those of you who know Second Peter well, uh, chapter 2, the second half of that has a pretty hard section of Scripture that kind of goes along with Hebrews. I'll let Brother Kenny or Brother Travis handle that scripture on another occasion. I'm taking some hard ones already, so we'll let them have those. Uh, some uh, as far as that goes, but uh, I am excited uh, to get into it here. And uh, this is on the marks of a true believer. We're going to be hitting Second uh, Peter chapter one, and we're going to be hitting the first fifteen verses. And there is a lot here, so uh, so so bear with me, and let's uh, let's kind of take this step by step. Um, here, so let's go ahead and hop into the scripture here. Uh, so, we're, again, we're in Second Peter. Um, we're looking at uh, chapter one, and we're going to start just with the first two verses here as we get started. Okay, so, so Simeon Peter, also Simon Peter, another way of putting that, a servant and apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who have obtained a faith of equal standing with ours by the righteousness of our God and Savior Jesus Christ. May grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. Can anybody guess who wrote this letter? Come on. It's not a hard question. Making sure everybody's awake. So Peter, there we go. We're we're good. Isn't it nice? He just kind of tells you right at the beginning. So I figure I start off with an easy question, right? So he wrote this letter. When we really look at the whole vast part of this letter, it's really to kind of combat false teaching. And we're really going to hit that next week even more so, as we see. But that was kind of his main gist here, and encourage uh, believers. It was written probably around A.D. 67-ish, and we know that because of Nero. Anybody know who Nero is? Pretty nasty guy. Um, they, we, we think historically that around A.D. 64, he actually set Rome on fire himself is what the what most people believe and he blamed on the christians in order to get them persecuted uh, both paul and peter both uh suffered under his uh they were actually killed under his watch uh peter likely was killed probably around AD 67 so we can date this letter probably somewhere around that toward the end of his life as we'll kind of see here in a little while uh but he was a, he was a pretty nasty guy uh, you know as we look through there um Another thing that we need to kind of think about is just Peter's devotion to Christ. I'm sure all of us remember Peter's failure, right? He denied the Lord three times. But we see, uh, if we look at at, at his history, that he was crucified upside down because he did not feel it worthy to suffer as a Savior. So he definitely was that uh, became that rock through Christ's power. As we kind of enter this uh, study for today, I want us to kind of keep this, this one question in the back of our minds as we hit this. Do we have the marks of a true believer? It's kind of a gut-punch question as we kind of look at this, this, but it's technically a question we really need to evaluate in our lives fairly regularly. Do we, are we becoming more like Christ, or are we becoming more like the world? Uh, and So I, wanna, I want us to kind of get into that. Our first point here uh, is true believers receive godly qualities through Christ's work. True believers receive godly qualities through Christ's Christ's work. I'm going to have some uh, other scriptures in here, and I don't want you having to worry about turning back and forth. I included them in your handout there, so if you want to look at them otherwise, and I've got them up here just as we kind of go forward so you don't don't get paper cuts as we're, as we're studying here, okay? So let's go ahead and get into verse 3 here. His divine power, I love that, divine power, has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness. Is it just some things? No, all things, right? All things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us to his glory his own glory and excellence by which he has granted to us uh, by which he has granted to us his precious and very great promises so that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire god is omnipotent he's all powerful he is the creator of all things and in him All things hold together, praise the Lord. And he, that God, has granted to us through his divine power all things that pertain to life and godliness. He didn't just leave us hanging. He has granted us that through his cross and through his Holy Spirit. It only comes through his work, not through ours. It comes through his work. And we must come to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ in order for the Spirit to be able to give us those godly qualities, and to work into us and and to sanctify us that way. Those who are in Christ, namely believers, again, if we look here, are partakers of the divine nature of Christ and are given the imputed righteousness of Christ. That's a big word, imputed. What that means is whenever, whenever God looks at you, and obviously we know we're dirty, we have problems, we have struggles, we have doubts, we have all kinds of issues in our lives. But when, when God looks at you, he sees Christ's righteousness imputed or placed upon you. God is transcendent. He is immortal. He is not, relate, not limited by time. So when God looks at you, he sees the imputed righteousness, the signed, sealed and delivered believer. Just take a moment to soak that in. So when, whenever you pray to God, yes, we need to have tons of reverence. He is still that God who destroyed nations. He is still that God who is coming back. Lord Jesus, when we look at Lord Jesus and the Lord Jesus and Revelation, he is still a God to be feared. He is still a God to be reverent. But we can have confidence in Christ as we go to him in prayer. And praise God that we have escaped the corruption of our sinful nature. Yes, we still battle the flesh. We're going to talk about that. But eternally speaking, we've escaped it. And praise, praise the Lord for that. If, if we keep going, we, we actually see here uh, as we go into Second Corinthians, this is kind of a, a side note here, uh, one twenty for all of the promises of God find their yes in him. that is why it is through him that we utter our amen to God for his glory. These precious and very great promises that we just talked about, we know that they 're going to come true, and that is the glory of, of Jesus Christ. what he says he does he 's not a God who lies he 's not a God who promises something that 's empty. He's a God that always fulfills what he says he's going to do. And he states here that he's going to give us these godly qualities we're going to go through and talk about. He's going to give us the ability to walk the Christian life the way that he wants us to do it. I know many of us may see the Christian life as impossible, right? How can we love our neighbor as ourselves? You know, that, that's pretty tough. How, how can we give to the needy and take care of orphans? And, and how, do we, how can we be self-controlled and resist temptation by our own strength? We can't, right? We can't. But praise be to God that through him we can. I'm sure we've all seen this verse, right? I hope it never becomes too familiar to where we don't actually understand what it really says. You know, I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Who? Christ, right? Not just... Sometimes we... we, we uh, I know in sports analogies, that first part there, I can do all things... You can preach that one to a lot of places, and they'll be like, "Yeah, we can. Yeah, we can. I can do. I can do. We can do. You know, let's let's just be great. Let's be great." No, it's through Him who strengthens us, and it's in His will. It's in His will. Paul had just actually finished, if we really look uh, before this verse about contentment, and he said he learned whether whether he has a little or a lot how to be content in that. We talked about that on Wednesday night, actually. We can learn here through Paul's example that even when we feel overwhelmed, even when we feel like we can't continue anymore, that his strength is enough. We're blessed with a, with a wonderful church, and we have a lot of people that serve a lot, and I. I could venture to say maybe I'm not the only one that's ever gotten burnt out or just tired, fatigued at times. And, and praise be to God, I, I don't feel that way now, and I, I, I feel, feel great, and I've been very edified by, by the believers that are here, and it is wonderful. But, but may, maybe you are. Maybe you're frustrated. Maybe you're exhausted. Maybe you're serving in a ton of different ministries and you're tired. Maybe you're trying to be the best wife you could ever be, the best husband That You could ever be the best son, the best daughter, the best whatever, employee, and you are just running and running and working and working, and you just never feel like you can measure up. You never feel like you can do it. Well, if you're anything like me, sometimes you realize that the reason you're frustrated, the reason you're exhausted, the reason you're tired is because you've been using your own strength. You've been using the flesh, and and, and some of us are given different gifts that, that God's given us, that even I don't want to say apart from a spirit, but sometimes even in our own flesh, we can do some good things. I mean, we can see non-believers sometimes do some good things, but they can't ever last. Your change can never last. Your, your work can never last. And frankly, it's all for nothing if it's not done through his strength and for his glory. So I pray that when we get to those points where we're just tired, uh, that we fall on our knees, and we just ask him to strengthen us, him to, to guide us and direct us and where we're supposed to go, because obviously we're going to fail on our own if we don't have him. May we never forget that the strength to live this Christian life comes from whose work? Christ's work, not ours, right? All right. The second point I want to talk about here. uh, True believers exhibit godly qualities that supplement their faith. True believers exhibit godly qualities that supplement their faith. Let's get into verse 5 through 7 here. For this very reason, make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue. And virtue with knowledge, and knowledge with self-control, and self-control with steadfastness, and steadfastness with godliness, and godliness with brotherly affection, and brotherly affection with love. Notice how these really parallel with Galatians five twenty two and twenty three as we look at the fruit of the spirit. I'm sure most of you have have went through this many many times, but the fruit of the spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness faithfulness, gentleness, self-control, right? Against such things there is no law. Let's break down these uh, qualities here, as godly qualities we see kind of one at a time and kind of talk about them as we Try to think of our own lives. Do we exhibit the marks of a true believer? As we get into these, let's see, are these marks that, that would mark our lives as we, as we really go through these? Let's evaluate ourselves, not our neighbor, not saying, Oh, well, Travis is doing really well in this one, but not, no, no, he's, he's doing great in all of them. But, but as we look at that, let, let's not think about somebody else. I know that's sometimes our first thing. Well, my wife or my daughter or my, I wish they would bet, were better at this one. Let's look, at, let's look at ourselves. I think that's really really the biggest part of things. And it's a temptation, I think, of anybody who teaches to think about how we can teach it uh, or anything like that. But we really have to hit our own hearts and make sure that our hearts are right with God. Number one is, is faith. Uh, obviously, uh, a lot of us remember the, the by faith chapter. We see that, uh, uh, I think, Pastor Travis taught it, like the Faith Hall of Fame as we kind of looked at it, Hebrews 11 here. Um, now, faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. Faith is believing in something you cannot see. But don't misunderstand that as blind faith. It's not blind faith. We have been given the living and active word of God. It's not blind. We have all that we need to know for the Christian walk. But we have to take this as the literal word of God speaking to us. And we're in a an era, my friends, that that is not the case. That many churches don't believe that. Many churches don't believe that this is the inerrant literal word of God. And I just pray against that. I pray that our church be a church that stands firm on this being the literal word of God. Our faith has to be in the God of the Bible. If our faith is in any other God, it's going to be misplaced. Uh, we, we we heard heard a great sermon from, from Pastor Travis about Gideon and, and how we watched Israel put their faith in false gods and material wealth and different things like that. And we need to be a people, a church that is worshiping the God of the Bible, the true God of the Bible. Our faith is also one of assurance. We can be assured because we see him work in the, in the history of the world. We've watched him work and we know that he, what he said he's going to do, he's always done. And so we can have faith because we see it. It's not blind, it's the it's faith that sees. Number two is virtue. I love the definition of virtue as we kind of look through this. Uh, virtue is actually behavior showing high moral standards. Should there be anyone more virtuous than a believer? Sadly, that's not always the case when we're in our churches. We're blessed with a very good church here, but I've been in, part in churches where we uh, not always virtuous when we look around. Should a believer be able to be trusted, dependable, consistent? Of course we should. As we look at these, we can compare them also to, to Galatians 5, as we just talked about, through the Spirit. Uh, the character, the virtuous character we should see of a believer is one that is full of joy, peace, patient, kind, good, faithful, gentle, self-controlled. The next one is knowledge. The Greek for this is is gnosis, is the word. We get the words cognitive and cognition from this, if we're looking at English here. It is not just a head knowledge—it's being able to understand and to recognize. It has a, a form of discernment: good and evil, right and wrong, truth and lies. We need to be able to to recognize and be cognizant of the of the truth. Probably the hardest one, at least for me, and I think for many of us, self control. This was always the one I remember in Sunday school class. I didn't really like like those lessons as much. I was like, self control—that one's tough. <laughs> let's let's get to a different one. Um, So we look at self-control. I'd say it's probably the the hardest because it it encompasses about every aspect of our lives. When we look, uh, it can be how we respond to trials, temptations, how we control our temper, how we control our diet, our exercise, how diligent we apply ourselves. I would argue the hardest one is the tongue. However, when we look at self-control, uh, if we look at James 3, 2, for we all stumble in many ways, and if anyone does not stumble in what he says, he's a perfect man, all, uh, able also to bridle his whole body. And if we go on to verse 6 there, and the tongue is a fire, a world of unrighteousness. The tongue is set among our members, staining the whole body, setting on fire the entire course of life, and set on fire by hell. That is a very Tough scripture. James will just hit you right in the face with the scripture at times, and, and it'll, it, it'll be tough. But, but, but I pray when we look at scripture and we look at self control, that's one area we need to really make sure we're in check. For out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks, we hear Jesus say, right? We've got to make sure that our heart is right with self control there this next one, steadfastness. This has kind of been a theme I see in Second Peter, and and that's kind of why I'm, I've am i named this series Keep On uh, as we kind of look. Perseverance is really important as we look through this. It's not giving up even when everyone else thinks you should. I don't know, have you, have you all ever had a time where everybody's telling you to quit, but you know you shouldn't? Uh, you know, I, I think that's going to be uh, pretty common. I think we're going to have more of those experiences in our world. As people say, don't even worry about it. Don't don't worry about going to the ministry because there's no real point. The church is dying, right? Don't don't worry about serving with kids because, you know, they're all, you know, watching these things that shouldn't be watching. You're not going to really reach them. Don't worry about going to that country because they're closed. You know, China doesn't want you there anyway. Don't worry about there's going to be all these naysayers as we go to share the gospel. Don't worry about sharing the gospel because I've shared the gospel 20 times and nobody has listened, Right? We're to persevere. We're to be steadfast. So this this word steadfastness means perseverance, endurance. It's keeping on even when it doesn't seem like it makes much sense at times, right? Even when things don't seem to go the way you thought they should. We must keep going even when it's tough. In the light of the return of Christ, right? We know that as we persevere as true believers, we win. Praise God for that makes it a lot easier to persevere when you know the end game right the next one here is godliness and the literal greek here means practicing the beliefs of god i love that I, you know i was i was always wondering what the definition of godliness would be i was having a really hard time putting that together finally i pulled out a resource and i was like all right what what does it mean to be godly practicing the beliefs of god saying that what he says is good so okay yeah that's he told me to do this that's what i'll do that is what godliness is Praise God for that. So we we are able to exhibit godly behavior only by His strength again, right? And making sure that they align in His will. Finally, the last two, the the biggest two here, especially this last one, brotherly love or brotherly affection and love. you don't even see brotherly love sometimes. I like brotherly affection because it kind of uh, it shows that they're different. The, the English language doesn't have multiple words for love, uh, whereas the Greek does. and And we see here the first one, brotherly affection, uh, is Philadelphia. Um, brotherly love, right? It's kind of, kind, of, kind of the city of brotherly love, right? Uh, so it's a friendship kind of love. It's a, a love that values that person highly. Uh, usually it's a mutual kind of love if we look at that. Um, take that into contrast with agape love, which is the, the Greek word for this last word, love. It's unconditional. It's not merited. And frankly, uh, oftentimes it's the opposite. Um, it, it's that person trying to kill you, you still loving them. That person trying to take your job, trying to fire you, you still loving them. That person uh, gunning for, for for you, trying to just persecute you, still loving them. That's agape love, and that, my friends, is hard. That one's a lot tougher. Really easy to flay of someone have Philadelphia, you know, and somebody's nice to you and, you know, your brother and, and supporting you. Somebody prays for you before you you stand up to preach. It's easy to have love for my brother Travis, right? It's easy to have love for my brother David as as, as he teaches Sunday school and encourages us so much. Oh, sorry. Bible fellowship. Sorry there. <laughs> um, but, you know, it, it's easy to have love. But, but what about what about the, the, the patient I'm working with that, that, that's not happy with me, that wants a medication that I won't give, and they let me have it? Hard sometimes to agape them, you know, right? Uh, you know what, what about that person that cuts you off as you're in traffic? Not really feeling a lot of agape for them, right? But, but that's no one did that better than Christ, right? We, we see him. What does he do in the Garden of Gethsemane whenever the soldiers come to take him and Peter cuts off a guy's ear, right? He heals him. these guys that are coming to take him to the cross. He heals them. I mean, that is agape. That is unconditional love. And that is what would be considered the highest of the virtues of a Christian. There's been a lot of people in the past that have had virtue, that you'd say had virtue, but none like Christ. And we are challenged here by Peter to continue in our sanctification. We're not okay to just be good enough. I think that's a I think that's a really strong temptation in our culture here. Um, in a culture that is really wayward, that has that fallen for everything, you can feel pretty good about yourself. Well, I don't watch those movies, right? I don't listen to that music. I don't go to that bar. I don't do this. So it's like, you know, I'm doing pretty good. I'm just going to stay in this sweet spot where I'm at that doesn't require me to make any changes. That's not how it works. That's not how it works. Our sanctification should continue to progress. These godly qualities, we never have arrived at them, and we definitely have never arrived at, at agape love. And so we, we really have to have to work on, on that through the Holy Spirit. There was a disease, especially of sailors, and this disease caused a lot of disability among sailors. It led to ulcerations and bleeding their gums. Their teeth would fall out they They get pain in their limbs. They would even spontaneously bleed for no apparent reason. Sailors even became known, oh, you're a sailor because you're missing your teeth and your gums are are messed up, right? They kind of knew that. And most people would just say, oh, they just don't take care of themselves around the water, right? Salt water. They're just not, not brushing their teeth. They're not doing what they need to do. However, James Lind, a Scottish doctor, discovered something that remedied this issue in 1747. He didn't exactly know what supplement it was, but he said... He saw that sailors that ate citrus fruits when they were out had a lot better dentition; didn't have these problems. Uh, and now, today, we know that it's vitamin C. Uh, that vitamin C deficiency called it causes a disease called scurvy. And uh, with that little vitamin, that little supplement that was given, it made a drastic clinical presentation change. In the same way, these godly qualities have a much more impact than we could ever imagine. When missing, they can have grave consequences. Imagine a believer without steadfastness or perseverance. Right? Maybe they have the knowledge and the faith, and maybe they even have the love. We'll say brotherly affection at least. But what happens when adversity hits? They fall away. They, oh, they, they, the persecution comes. They're, they're they're not standing firm. Right? What about the one that has them all except for love? Well, we see Paul address that one head on. Right. If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I'm a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith as to remove mountains, I don't got that kind of faith. I hope I hope to one day, but I don't have that. But have not love, still, they're, they're nothing, right? If I give away all I have, and even this, even if I deliver my body up to be burned, the ultimate sacrifice, but have not love, I gain nothing. Nothing. Wow. Is that not convicting of how important love is, this agape love that we see? Let's not miss the most important point as we look at these. None of these godly qualities listed here are possible without Christ's love overflowing in your heart. We can't agape love on our own. Frankly, we have a hard time with even brotherly affection, to be honest, and in our culture we can see. But as we talked about before, we can do all things through him who strengthens us, right? Not by our own strength, as we talked about, but by his. True believers exhibit godly qualities as supplement their faith, through the power of Christ. And point three here, true believers practice godly qualities with perseverance. True believers practice godly qualities with perseverance. All right, this is going to be a little longer scripture here, so bear with me. there will be richly provided for you an entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Therefore, I intend always to remind you of these qualities, though you know them and are established in the truth that you have. I think it right as long as I am in this body to stir you up by way of by way of reminder, since I know that the putting off of my body will be soon, as our Lord Jesus Christ made clear to me. And I will make every effort so that after my departure you may be able at any time to recall these things, these few verses magnify perseverance needed as believers. We can sense the encouragement Peter provides to these believers. He senses that he's at the end of his life. He, he states here that, that Jesus Christ has kind of let him know, hey, it's getting close to the end. Uh, if you look, at, and, and I think it's at the end of John, we see, we see that, he, that Jesus actually looks at him and says, hey, pretty much says, you're going to die for me. And then actually Peter actually looks at John and says, what about that dude, right? At that point, you can see just the difference in his faith at that point versus now. So Jesus has made it clear, hey, we're moving this way. It's getting close to the end. I've already told you it's not going to be good. You know, They're, they're going to put you through some things, and obviously we know he was crucified upside down. Well, Paul had a similar experience, right? For I am already being poured out as a drink offering, and the time of my departure has come. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. It seems at the end of our earthly lives, uh, as I look around at people and as I've taken care of people even uh, in in medicine, most of the time, people, as they enter that end of their life, they want to let people know the truth, the truth that they've uh, learned. They want to kind of let them know, hey, this is. I want to encourage you in this. I want to pass on this. I, I, I want to make sure that this kind of goes. and And Peter and and Paul are no different here. We actually see them here too. Peter here wants believers to that, to know that their good works and godly qualities do not save them, but they confirm. The calling and election, as we see in verse 10. The Holy Spirit is given to us as a guarantee of our salvation, which I'll pop up here. I won't read the whole thing. But we see in Ephesians 1, the Holy Spirit's given to us as a guarantee. And we know what? God finishes the good work that he, is, that, that he has done in us, and will bring it to completion, as we see here in Philippians 1, six. True believers persevere, right? I'm right of a story. I don't know if any of you all have seen uh, uh, the story about Corey Wiseman. Uh, he was an up-and-coming basketball recruit at Gettysburg College. He would actually had a very successful high school career. He scored 1,000 points throughout his high school career, which is pretty impressive. It's hard, hard to score that many points, uh, very consistent. He was really looking forward to competing for a spot on this basketball team at Gettysburg. However, his dreams were shattered when he had an AV malformation. It's a, a, a group of, of vessels in your brain that are abnormal, and, and they were ruptured, and he had a huge stroke. Ended up being paralyzed on one side, just shattered his dreams of being a, a a college basketball player. At this point, many of many of us and many people out there would have given up any aspirations to play basketball. Most of us would have been focused on let's try to survive, right? Let's let's try to live. However, he went through grueling rehab for four years, just day after day after day, and worked his point worked himself to the point where he could actually play a little bit. I know he wasn't the player he used to be. He still had a limp. He still struggled. But, uh, but he got to the point where he could actually walk out on the court. And uh, his coach, last game of the season, final game of Corey Wiseman's collegiate eligibility, uh, he puts him out there and lets him start. He goes out there, and only for a short period of time, they were concerned with his medical conditions and things like that to let him out there too much and histories of seizures, things like that. They didn't want something bad to happen. So they take him out. And it's a beautiful story because at the end of the game, Gettysburg's winning, pretty, pretty bad against the team, team called Washington. Uh, and at the end of the game, he puts Corey back in and Washington calls a timeout and they're like, what are they calling a the timeout for? It was a beautiful story. The Washington coach actually has them foul him to let him get a foul shot or actually a double bonus. So he gets, gets two first foul shot goes up he completely air balls. And, you and know, everybody's heart's breaking it's like oh man this guy's been waiting forever scored a thousand points in high school and he's not scored one point in college yet next next shot dribbles a couple of times up and over and it swishes through the hoop and uh you know obviously everybody's emotional and they're real excited and and it's a beautiful story but to many of us we might think it's not that impressive right he scored one point right? I mean, he had a thousand points in high school. What's this one point? The issue is he persevered. That one point, he worked harder for that one point than he worked for those thousand. And our view of success, our view of perseverance, our view of of, of what is good is sometimes too worldly. When we look at maybe successful ministries, we may look at a pastor of a megachurch as, wow, he's been successful. Whereas God may look at that guy as selling his soul for money, maybe not preaching the Bible the way he should, versus a small-town pastor with a church of 20 may faithfully exposit that word every day, and God may look at him as more of a success in eternity. How do we judge our success? How do we judge our success? Through our perseverance. I'm reminded of the saints that have given their lives for Christ. Many of them maybe never even got to say a word. Many of them may have just landed in a foreign land, ready and willing to serve and to preach the gospel, and they were killed. We would say, wow, that was a waste of life, right? A lot of times we would. I pray we wouldn't, but, but I think a lot of people would. They'd look at, man, they could have done so much else here. They could have done so much else somewhere else, maybe. But God looks at that as success. They, they stood to the end. They persevered. They were not wasted lives. I pray that we have perseverance, that we look As success, not defined by worldly standards, but success by God's standards. True believers will always persevere to the end. You may be a little bit hopeless at times. You may be lost, even feeling lost at some time. You may have made a profession of faith. But may not truly understand uh, what that really means. You may have made a profession of faith, and maybe you did. Maybe you're like, hey, you know what? I did, and I've been trying, but I still feel hopeless at times. I still feel hopeless. How come we can sometimes feel that way? How come we can sometimes uh, have these periods where we're doing well and periods where we're doing bad and kind of ups and downs? And I think Pastor Travis did a great job last week, uh, last Sunday night, describing sanctification and justification and the difference between two, right? We talked about justification, and I even quoted this too, where we have the Holy Spirit, we're sealed, and then uh, he's going to complete that good work. We've been pardoned, our sins are forgiven. But then sanctification, right? That's becoming more like Christ. That's becoming more holy, being set apart. Our debt's been paid when we trust in Jesus, but that doesn't mean that we're made perfect on this side of eternity. Obviously, we talked about imputed righteousness of Christ. On that side of eternity, we have been. But on this side of eternity, we still have... Our heart of flesh that has to be, that we've been given a new heart, but we still have this, this fleshly desire. As we see Paul say, just that they're going like this still the rest of our lives. We, we still have that that struggle. And what what's the difference, I think? You know, we really have to answer that question. And that's sanctification. Sanctification is done through the Holy Spirit in our hearts. But we are a catalyst to that as well. And I think we have to watch how we say that because it's not a works-based salvation. It's not based on how hard we work and things like that. But, but God has asked us to do things for him, right? He's given us jobs that he's prepared for us, as we see in Ephesians 2.10, for us to walk in. But, but we're to walk in those. If we look at First at 2 Peter one five here, he, st- he states we are to make every effort to supplement, right? We are to make every effort to supplement. And in verse 10, we see that we're to be all the more diligent and to practice these qualities, right? He's asked for us to do something. True saving faith does. James is very clear about that. Again, this is not a workspace salvation, so I want to make sure we don't go there. We can't work for our salvation. We can't even do anything good, right, on apart from our own self. But what we see, if you've been a Christian for years and if you've not experienced sanctification, you haven't been changed to look more like Christ over the years. You've been in the church for 40 years, 50 years, 20 years, however long, and you look exactly the same as when you sat in the pew and you walked forward or you went to talk to the pastor afterwards. I would ask, do you have a knowledge of Christ or a saving knowledge of Christ? And I think sometimes when you hear evangelists preach uh, a gospel message, sometimes they muddy the waters a little bit. And I, I, I actually repent uh, for, for pastors uh, on this behalf, and even myself maybe in the past, that we don't make it clear what salvation truly is. Salvation is not just believing the right things. Let's look at Satan and his demons. We see in James chapter 2 that even the demons believe in shudder, right? There is one God. You can believe all the right things and still go to hell. And that's a very, very tough thing to hear. Pastor Kenny and Pastor Travis have have preached it from the pulpit as well. But you can believe that Jesus died on the cross for your sins. You can believe that he rose from the dead three days later. You can believe that he's sitting at the right hand of the Father and that he will come back and you can still go to hell because there's no repentance there. Believing here is not what Jesus is after. Believing here, giving your life to him. He is the Lord of your life, whether you like it or not. But he desires that saving knowledge, that acknowledgement of his his lordship, not your will, but my will be done, right? And I think that is the difference between true saving faith and, as Pastor Kenny preached a few months ago, a faith that doesn't save. And I think that's probably not preached enough uh, today. Now, some of you may be true believers, but be stagnant in your spiritual walk. And if that's you and you're like, man, you know, I, I, I feel pretty confident that I'm saved, but, you know, I'm just not really moving toward God the way that I I feel like I, I should, well, I think we've got to check that spiritual barometer of our life. We have to see, well, where, where are we at? And again, not that it's workspace, but we have to look at what are we doing? Are we are we praying to God? Are we, Are we intimately involved with Him in prayer? Are we in the Word daily? You know, is it our daily bread? Or are we in it? Are we? In it? And, and I think just as important as, as well—not just as important, but right after those—it's are we intimately involved in a congregation of believers? Not just coming Sunday morning, not just even coming Sunday night, but are you in a Bible fellowship? Are you in a Bible study? Do you have a small group? Do you have some a group of believers here or somewhere else that you are rubbing shoulders with, that you're doing life with? I think that's one of the most important things. I know when I was in residency, uh, many times I would work you know, 80 to 100 hours a week, and I would be just dead. And you get to that point where, where you're almost envying the person in the bed because they were getting to rest. And I was just like, man, you know what? I, I would take pneumonia right now just to get a break, uh, as bad as that sounds. I don't mean to negate what people go through, but, but you just get some mini depression and some funks and things like that. And the thing that kept me from staying there were other believers I had a couple of friends of mine who just, man, were some of the most awesome evangelists I've ever met. And and we would go eat, and they would share the gospel with like three people as we're sitting there. And, and they would look at me, and they were like, hey, man, you know, when you're taking care of that, that person, whenever you're sitting there and, and you see that person struggling, and, and you're tired and you're exhausted, and the last thing you want to do is write orders for this guy to, to hit the floor because you know it's really not a big deal, and he probably should have went home anyway, and you're having to admit him. You know, you need to love that person. That person's a soul. And, and you know, they most likely don't even know Christ, and you need to take this time with them to be able to maybe share the gospel. And it was so convicting to me because it's so so easy sometimes to get caught in our selfishness, our me, oh, woe is me. You know, I'm so tired. I'm having to do this. I'm having to do this. I'm, you know, and, and get so lost in what really matters. And so, so I pray that as as we're going through this, that we really put ourselves around believers, strong believers, you know, people that, that will call us out, you know, people that will look at me and say, hey, Jonathan, that was a prideful statement, you know, in a nice, loving way. I don't think I would say it that way. I mean, that was really insensitive, you know. You, you, know you, you probably ought to be home more. You're working too much. You know, I had a buddy of mine who's a, uh, a local pastor and a friend of mine, and he was actually my, my chaplain um, whenever I was playing high school football, and, and uh, I hadn't seen this guy for probably a decade. And we play basketball. I, I go to play basketball at this church, and he was there. And after we play and we've had a good time, I'm telling him a little bit, little bit about what I'm doing. And uh, praise God, at that point, my, my schedule wasn't too bad. It just sounded worse when I was just telling him than what it was. And God had really worked on me in that area. But, but he looks right at looks me right in the eyes, and he says, Jonathan, are you, are you working too much? Because you need to be home. You need to be a good father and, 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 a, and, a, and a good husband. And at that point, I got his number. And we talk a lot. And I was like, that's the guy I want in my life. The guy that's going to look me in the eyes lovingly and and still boldly say, whoa, you know, this isn't right. Are you, are you good here? Is this something? And there's been other times where we've been talking, and we've been able to, to really edify and, and help that sanctification process, the Holy Spirit using us as believers to sanctify us. And I think um, it, 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 we, it can't really uh, be understated the importance of, of the community. Of believers. Well, let's go ahead and uh, begin closing tonight with going into prayer here. I think our first response to a a sermon like this is to commit to doing better. Pulling ourselves up by our bootstraps, getting our life in line with Scripture. We want to be virtuous, self-controlled, loving. Maybe we just need to work harder. Maybe we just need to do this. Maybe we just need to do this. Maybe I just need to do this. Although it is admirable that we want to see a change in our lives, we must humble ourselves before Christ. We must admit that we don't have the power to change. Lord, your word says in Jeremiah seventeen nine that our heart is desperately wicked, it's sick. We see in Psalm 53 that, No one does good. Not even one. No one seeks God. We are corrupt. As Peter said in verse 4, there is a corruption from sin that we must escape. Lord God, we cannot escape this without you. If we are not believers here, if there is anyone here that does not know you, God, there is no hope of lasting change without Christ. I say that again. There is no hope for them without Christ. It only comes from you, Lord. And I pray if there's anyone who does not recognize you as the Lord of their lives, that they humbly and graciously accept the free gift of eternal life through what you did on the cross, Lord. That they repent of their sins and turn to you and give you their entire life, Lord. If we are believers, those who are believers here, which I pray are most, if not all, we must not try to make this change happen only through our own work. We must allow your spirit to work in us and then walk in the strength that you and you alone can provide. Heavenly Father, I thank you so much for always being a God who is faithful, a God who never breaks his promises. I thank you for providing for us. I thank you for giving us everything that we need in order to live this Christian life, Lord God you didn't just set us up for failure. You didn't just call us to something that you didn't equip us for. Lord God, you promise that you will, Lord. And Lord God, I pray that you be at this church, that you help us be a church that exhibits these godly qualities. That we are a church that has the marks of a true believer. And most of all, I pray for the, the greatest of these, which is love. That we be a church that is marked by love, that is agape love. That, that even when the world curses at us, even when people do things to us out in the world, Lord, that we respond with a gracious and humble love, being willing to share the gospel of Christ, even in the midst of a world that hates us. We love you, we thank you, we praise you, and uh, it's in your gospel in all holy name we pray. Amen.